Before I get to my next guest, John Cook, I want to give a shout out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM Radio host John Cook. Let me remind you about John's background. He's from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. He won six individual titles while at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bolstad Award for the low-stroke average in the conference from 77 to 79 and was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Marco Mira in 79. John won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 75 and the Ohio Amateur in 1978 and 79. Turned pro later on in 79, won his first PGA Tour event in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am by beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. Won again at the 1983 Canadian Open, this time by beating Johnny Miller in a playoff. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour, 10 times on the Champions Tour, and has 7 top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame. You can now hear him on uh, Connected with John Cook on Sirius XM's PGA Tour channel. And I'm excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, John, thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure, Chris. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, John. How are you? That's a stroll down memory lane right there. I don't even remember some of that. That was great. <laughs> Glad I could help. You did a lot, my Let's friend. You, uh, you certainly deserve to be in those Hall of Fames. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but the Let's Both That Award and all that stuff, that's, that's good stuff. <laughs> Indeed. John, I want to start our time tonight. I want to get your thoughts on the WGC match play tournament from the weekend. We don't get a lot a lot of match play events on the tour outside of the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. What do you think about the event and what you saw? Yeah, overall, you know, it's a great event. It's match play. Um, they've, they've gone through different formats in the last you know, years that they've had. And, um, you know, different venues, different 
different formats, and I think the one that they have now is working. Obviously, they, you know, Billy Horschel and, and um, Scotty Sheffer, two wonderful players, two young Americans, which was exciting for us. They're in the final. Not, not the, the sexy final that you would want to have, but you know what? They earned their way. They won their matches. They did what they needed to do, and uh, they got to the final, and, you know, it, it, it's match play, and that's what you get. And uh, Billy uh, kind of wore out uh, Scotty Scheffler and a very worthy champion. He's won events before. He's a FedEx Cup champion. He's won a number of events. So Billy Horschel is no joke and uh, a very, very worthy champion. And, John, when you get down to the finals, I mean, those two guys played a lot of golf, particularly yeah. on the weekend. I mean, Billy Horschel and Scotty Scheffler, and they played uh, over 120 holes for the tournament. And nearly 70 holes when you look at Saturday and Sunday. Seems like it'd be tough to play great golf by the time you get to that last round. Is that is that too much to ask of those guys? And then to turn around in a couple of weeks to have to go to Augusta? I, I don't think so, Chris. It, it, that's that's the the uh, that's the format. That's that's the event. You know that going in. You know that if you're going to get to the final and try to win a golf tournament, that's what you're going to be safe with. We did that in the U.S. Amateurs. We did that. Uh, any of those match play events, you know, Western Amateur, you played, you know, 72 holes, good play, top 16, get in. Um, those were long events as well. So, down to the end, that if you're going to win this golf championship, you're going to play a lot of golf. And you, you have to be, you're not going to have your best all the time. It's just a matter then on, on, uh, you know, just kind of preserving where you are, being efficient at what you do, and, uh, you know, playing match play. And that's you're beating the guy no matter what. Five beats six, four beats five. That's when it comes down to the final, and you're kind of you know, your mind isn't on the same page as your body is because your body is slowing down, but your mind is going at thousand miles an hour. Uh, that that's how you survive that. And Billy Rice would get it the best. John, when you've played in match play tournaments, what's what's been your strategy? Do you go out there and just try to shoot the best score possible? Or does it change, you know, that strategy? Does it change based on what you're watching your opponent do? Do you adjust based on that? I do adjust, Chris. I always went into every single match trying to beat the golf course, trying to beat par. And then you adjust going along. If you, you know, get to the back nine and you've got somebody buried, you know, know, so be it. If you go to the back nine and you're par and you're even one down, so be it as well. Then you start to adjust. But I always thought the first nine holes of match play, for me, was a match play against the golf course. I didn't want to give away holes, you know, making bogeys. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to give away the par threes, making bogeys. Uh, but that was my strategy. So, you know, if I needed to adjust, I adjusted. If I didn't, I just tried to keep beating the golf course because, you know what, he's going to have to make birdies down the stretch to beat me, and I'm not going to try to – I'm not going to beat myself. Um, that maybe that's why it's covered in that play a lot of times. I I just didn't give in, and uh, I, I played the golf course first off, and then I adjusted as needed going down the stretch. John, I want to switch gears a little bit, and uh, I was reading that you've worked with Patrick Cantlay on his game, and he's a guy that I think is right on the cusp of winning a major championship. And you look back at his 2019 season, he finished tied for ninth at the Masters, tied for third at the PGA, 
He won the Zozo Championship back in October, finished second at the American Express Championship in January. Talk about working with Patrick and uh, how close he is to breaking through and getting a major. Well, you said it right there, uh, Chris. He's he's very he's very close. He knows his he knows his uh, position um, in the game. Uh, I've known him uh, since he was in his middle teens. Uh, he's been in Jamie Mulligan's program since he was a child. You know, nine years old. Uh, I just met Patrick. Uh, probably fourteen, fifteen. Uh, just in high school, he was that you know kid hanging around. You know, Pete Thomas Dulo, myself, John Merrick. Uh, John Ballinger, uh, Paul Goidos. He was that little kid that was just, you know, kind of sponging and soaking in everything that we were, we were talking about and working with Jamie, uh, on. And, um, lo and behold, his senior high school, all of a sudden he was, you know, six foot one and 150. And then all of a sudden he was six foot one and 180. And now he's hitting a bias. So it was, uh, it was very interesting <laughs> to see the transgression of, uh, or the transformation of Patrick Cantley, but he was, uh, you know, always, he wanted knowledge and he was soaking in knowledge. He was always asking questions uh, and uh, wanting to learn more and more. And the transformation of, of Patrick Cantley from his senior year of high school to his sophomore year of college was incredible. Um, not only the talent coming out, but his golf IQ coming out. And you know, taking that into his first couple of years as a pro, being very successful, you know, had a you know a, a storied, unfortunate setback with his health and, uh, from his uh, uh, passing at the uh, you know opportune time for him, basically cost him you know two and a half, almost three years. Otherwise, he'd be you know, even further along. But once he came back, and once he he knew that. This is what he wanted to do for the rest of his life, play golf and compete. He just went nose to the grindstone. He is very, very disciplined. He knows his body, knows his body very, very well. And he also knows his place in this game. And it is amongst the best. It's amongst the, the Dustin Johnson, the Brooks Tepkas. Uh, it's amongst those guys. You've got to remember that when he was that guy before Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and, and, and those guys. He was he was that guy, and now he's you know gaining more confidence, gaining more um, respect amongst his peers, and there's really no telling um, you know where Patrick can go. He wants Ryder Cups, he wants major championships. That's his mentality. That's the way it is. John, speaking of majors, and most of us are never going to know what it feels like to be in that sort of pressure cooker of a major going into the last round and, and uh, you know, kind of standing up on the first tee and then standing up on the back nine, trying to win a major championship. You were in the thick of it in 1981 at the U S open at Marion and twice in 92 at the open championship at, at Muirfield and the PGA championship at Bell Reeve. And I guess in my mind, I'm thinking it's sort of like what we hear about the NFL playoffs. Well, once you get in the playoffs, things, seem to speed up. Is that what it's like yep. in a major? Do things seem to, you know, tend to speed up? 100%, Chris. It's exactly right. Um, you know, biggest, you know, I, I have a lot to be thankful for in my career and won a lot. And, you know, I've lost a lot. I can tell you how to win. I can tell you how to lose. And unfortunately, I didn't get across that finish line in a major championship. And I had my chances with a number of them. Um, the two in 92 definitely come to mind, uh, 94 U.S. Open, 
the world is basically gone. So we really, really have to you know, stay in the present, never project ahead on what you have in front of you, and you know, just execute as best as you can on that particular moment. That's all you can do. And John, kind of reverting back to pressure, two players that I think that need to kind of free up their minds, especially on Sundays, is Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth. If we look ahead to the Masters, if those guys are in a position to win come Sunday late afternoon, what would you say to Rory? What does he need to do to minimize what's going on in his mind trying to complete the career grind slam? Or for Jordan, who's trying to make his, you know, kind of way all the way back and not make sure those goals from the, you know, the 12th hole come back in. How do, how do you do that? How do you free up those minds? You know, Sunday is such a different animal, Chris, that it, you know, it is the finale. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're playing your, up to your 72nd hole or maybe even beyond. And you just got to revert back to, you know, doing what you've been doing. Um, you know, playing golf like you're, you know, out there playing with your friends. Uh, you know, re- relax, really focus and commit each, each and every, each and every swing. And, um, that's basically all you can do. Obviously, with Rory and with Jordan, they have some mechanical flaws in their swings. There's no, there's no question about it. And I'm not saying it because nobody that doesn't know already. Um, but you know, if they're in position to win on Sunday, maybe they've corrected a little bit of those flaws and then just free wheel and trust it. That's all you can do uh, on, on Sunday. When it gets down to the last round holes, you have to figure out a way to get to the house. Uh, you do look at the leaderboard, get comfortable there. Um, and, and see what's in front of you, and then you adjust on the fly, or you don't have to adjust if you, you know, you still have the lead and you're still right there. And so for them, it's a little bit mechanical, I, I think. And you know, when it gets you know, pressure on, um, you know, short putts get missed, uh, you know, two shots get missed you know, a little bit wider, the frozen weight gets a little bit further uh, along, uh, the pressure starts to mount. And the, and the more that you can hit quality golf shot after quality golf shot, it takes your mind from the ease off of the next swing. So when, you know, whatever this swing is, they've been working on that week that seems to be working. They've got to keep doing it and keep remembering that. Do you remember your first trip to Augusta National back in 79 and what that first drive up Magnolia Lane was like? <laughs> I do. I do. It was, it was incredible. And, you know, I, I really prepared the week before. It was, I was on spring break from Ohio State. Um, I was in uh, Palm Springs. We had a house at Mission Hills, which we had a house there for a number of years. So I was you know, working on my game there at Mission Hills during the Dinosaur, <laughs> during the Dinosaur. And, um, you know, I played in the Pro-Am a couple of days and you know, trying to get my, my game into shape because, you know, it wasn't sharp, but I, was, I got back to Augusta and, Go down Magnolia uh, Lane that first time. I, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I, it's just I mean, a dream. It's something that I've been to for so so long, and uh, you know, earned my way into it. Stayed uh, there every step of the way with me. You know, obviously his history around Augusta National is is, is uh, you know, quite honored. And I uh, played you know, my practice rounds that year. On uh, he and I played nine holes on Sunday afternoon. And then I played uh, my three practice rounds on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday with Kenny, um, with Tom Weisskopf, and with Ed Sneed. Ed Sneed went on and uh, lost in the playoffs in Delhi that year. So uh, my my first trip around there with, as, as an amateur was uh, just an incredible experience, just being part of the National, being part of the amateur field, 
uh, all of our previous extensions events today. There are 25 of those events, and we've only played two so far, so again, that's really been on a, a long, long winter and spring break, so I'm ready to get back to work. Um, but um, I'll be doing uh, a lot of that, and uh, hopefully a U.S. Open. I'll be at Torrey Pines doing something, uh, and also then for the Edmonds Championship and the Senior uh, in July at the at the Royal St. George and also at Sunnydale. So that, that's pretty much my schedule. I won't be competing much. I still play a lot of golf, but not uh, not competing. And um, but uh, I enjoy it more than probably I did the last few years of my competitive career. But I love what I'm doing. I love talking about golf. I love studying the word. Love helping people. And it's just like you and I are chatting golf. That's what I'm trying to do out there on the golf and on the radio. Well, John, before I let you go, I want to reprise something from your uh, SCGA Hall of Fame speech. You said, my mentor and close friend Ken Venturi once told his dad he was really good at golf. His dad replied, when you're good at something, tell people. But if you're really good at something, they'll tell you. And I want to thank the SCGA for telling me I was a really good player. Well, John, you were a really good player. You're also a really good broadcaster. And from uh, the times I've got to spend with you, I can tell you're a 10 times better person. And I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. Well, Chris, it's my pleasure, as always. And thank you for those kind words. I'll never forget those words from Kenny Venturi. And uh, I, I live by those. I live by those. And it, it's fun to be part of this great game. Uh, it's not a better game on the planet. And uh, there's so much. So many good people in this game, uh, including you, Chris, and I appreciate you having me on anytime. John, take care. Stay safe out there, my friend. I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you soon between now and then. Uh, take care, and like I say, all the best to you and your family. My, fam- my, my pleasure. Thank you very much. See you, John. That's a great John Cook, folks. You want to talk about a heck of a player. You know, you went to 11 PGA Tour wins, 10 more on the Champions Tour. Uh, but then what he has meant to the game of golf, again, in a couple of Hall of Fames, which you can tell why he's in those Hall of Fames, right? It's not all about just what you do on the golf course. It's also what you do off of it. John was a great player on it. And like I say, from uh, the privilege I've had of getting to know him just a little bit uh, over the last uh, probably six or nine months, you can tell uh, what a great person he is and how much he gives back. And then uh, working with guys like Patrick Cantlay and then being on PGA Tour Radio and all of those, the Golf Channel, obviously, as well. Um, it's sort of that great package, right? Great player, great person. That's how you get in those Hall of Fame. That's how you get to know all of the people that John has gotten to know over the years and that sort of thing and all the opportunities that have uh, that have come his way. Uh, super guy and really, really enjoyed myself. I hope, uh, like I say, I hope we get the privilege of going for number three here before too long. 